I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to two openings of Scripture tonight, Galatians chapter 3 and Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now, while you're doing that, if you're able to do that and respond at the same time, let me ask you a question. How many of you were with us last Sunday night, healing school? Well, let me ask it the other way. How many were not? Uh, okay, about a, maybe a quarter or a third of the crowd. I want to encourage you if... Uh, um, we taught on this uh, same subject last uh, last Wednesday, uh, last uh, Sunday night in healing school, redeemed from the curse of sickness, and uh, and I want to go a little bit further with it. Uh, I'm not going to take the time to go through some of the uh, the detail that we did last Sunday evening. So uh, just as a in, in the interest of full disclosure, as they say, uh, let me let you know that last Sunday night we covered some of the things in depth, particularly about uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, that might be of interest to you. We'll make whatever uh, summary comments we need to to make sure that everybody's on the same page. But if you want uh, more information about, especially the Deuteronomy 28 part of this message, then uh, uh, check into the, um, uh, the message from last Sunday night. Amen. Well, with that said, let's start in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. It says, Christ hath, past tense, hath redeemed. He's not going to redeem you, but he hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You ask most Christians nowadays, probably this is true for any period of time during the church age, uh, what, what are we redeemed from? Most Christians will tell you you're redeemed from sin. That's not really true. Well, I, I guess I better qualify that. There's an element of truth that, to that, but that's not the entirety of the truth. The Bible says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Anytime the Bible talks about the law, it's talking about one of two things. It's either talking, it's talking about the law of Moses in some form or another. It means either the Ten Commandments or it means the entirety of the book of, of uh, the entirety of the, uh, the law of Moses, which is contained in the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Those were the books of Moses. Those were the, the, uh, the letters or the instructions that God gave uh, Moses for the, uh, the children of Israel, for the, the people of Israel, in order to keep, to know and to keep his commandments. Now here where it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, we know that there is no curse, specific curse that is identified with the Ten Commandments. There is, no, uh, there is no curse associated with the Ten Commandments in the sense that it doesn't say thou shalt love the Lord thy God or else. There is no or else, there is no consequence, there is no uh, specific curse that's identified with the Ten Commandments. Therefore, we know that he's talking about, when it says he's redeemed us from the curse of the law, he's got to be talking about all the five books of Moses, of the entirety of the law of Moses. Now, you may not know this, and, and, and I don't even suggest that you try to remember it, but in the five books of Moses, there are 630 commandments that God gave Israel. And the Bible says that if you're guilty in one point, you're guilty of the whole law. You break one of those 630 commandments. There's not just ten. You break one of those 630 commandments given by God to Israel. I say you, I'm talking about Israel. If Israel broke one of those 630 commandments at any point in time, they were guilty of, of uh, the curse or they were subject to the curse of the law just as if they had broken every one of the 630. That's the way it works. It's an all or nothing thing. Now, the law was never given to man to be a code of conduct. The law was given to man to show him that you can't do this on your own. Paul goes into great detail in both the book of Romans and here some in Galatians 2 to identify the whole purpose for the law was to be a schoolmaster. It wasn't to be your guide. It wasn't to be the thing that you lived your life by per se just for the sake of doing right and wrong, which is what the Pharisees did. 
The Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day turned the law into something that it was a God in in and unto himself, itself. And when Jesus would break one of the, the, the traditions of the elders, like he didn't wash his hands on the Sabbath day, he picked corn on the Sabbath day for something to eat, they just came undone. Because as far as they were concerned, if you broke anything that they said, okay, here's the law. The law says keep the Sabbath day or remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So that means you can't pick corn. Well, it doesn't mean you can't pick corn. Jesus didn't break any of the law of of Moses, but he did break some of the traditions of the elders. And they had gotten to the place where they were making such a, uh, a, they had made a God out of their own traditions and not just the law such that they were violating the law the commandments of God to keep their own ideas. That's called denominationalism today. And I don't mean that as a slam. That's just what happens. You look at any move of God and the denominations that have resulted from it. And every denomination has come out of a move of God in some way or another. You look at denominations, they depart from the word and they begin to follow their own ideas about the word. Well, folks, your idea and my idea about the word might not be true, but the word is always true. Now, what does the Bible say about God's commandments to people? Well, the first commandment God gave mankind was in the Garden of Eden, where he told Adam and Eve, thou shalt, eat and thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, here's the curse. For in the day, here's the or else. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, what dying is he talking about? What kind of death does he mean? He can't be talking about physical death because they didn't die physically that day. They didn't die for 930 years after they ate of the fruit of the tree. We don't know how long they were in the garden before they fell. Most people have the idea that they were created on Saturday, the sixth day, and by Monday afternoon they were gone. That's not necessarily the case. They might have been there for thousands of years. We don't know. Nobody knows. But what we do know is they finally transgressed against the commandment of God. They disobeyed the commandment of God. And the curse came upon them. The curse wasn't physical death. The curse was spiritual death. So the first curse of the law that's ever identified in Scripture is spiritual death. Now, what happened, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12, for if by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and that death passed upon all men. Now, what death is he talking about? He's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about the consequence of God's broken law, the curse of the law, literally. So the curse of the law The first curse of the law was spiritual death. And what the Bible tells us is that spiritual death opened the floodgates for everything else. If not for spiritual death, sickness would have had no entrance into the world. If not for spiritual death, poverty would have had no entrance into this world. That's important for you to remember. Because where it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, the first curse of the law that's ever identified in Scripture is spiritual death. So the first thing he redeemed you from is spiritual death. There are other things that are identified as part of the curse of the law in Deuteronomy 28. We'll look at that for just a minute. But let's go into verse 14 so that the Bible can identify for us why he redeemed us from the curse of the law. We now know the beginnings of what he redeemed us from. Let's find out why. Christ has redeemed us, past tense, has redeemed us from the curse of the law being made a curse for us. We could say it this way. We could uh, uh, interject this or substitute these words and be entirely accurate. Christ has redeemed us from spiritual death and the consequences thereof. Or the characteristics thereof. Being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. Why did he do that? Verse 14, that or so that 
the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith. How many times have you been reading in the Old Testament and you see some promise in the Proverbs or the Psalms or something like that, maybe Isaiah or something, where it says something God's going to do. It just sounds so wonderful. It sounds almost too good to be true. And the devil's right there whispering in your ear saying, yeah, that's just for the Jews. Well, guess what? That's good news. Because Christ redeemed you from the curse of spiritual death so that that which belonged to the Jews could come to you. I remember the first time I ever heard the devils tell me that's just for the Jews. That promise is just for the Jews. My heart fell because I didn't know any better. I thought, well, okay, you know, some of the stuff in the Bible is just for the Jews. It's not for the church. And so I guess I'll have to do some greater studies some further study to find that out. I hadn't even been to Bible school yet when the devil used that on me. Now, I welcome that. That's just for the Jews. Perfect. That means it's mine because Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. That the blessing of Abraham. See, a lot of the promises of prosperity and success and so forth, the devil will tell you, yeah, that's just for the Jews. You look at the Jews, the Jews are rich in this world, but that's not what, the, that's not what God promised the church. If it's what he promised the Jews, it's what he promised the church, according to this verse of Scripture. That or so that. Here's why he redeemed you from the curse of the law, the curse of spiritual death and its characteristics. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through faith. Or through Jesus Christ, I'm sorry. And that we, here's the second part, here's the second reason, and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Now, I want you to notice something, folks. Those are two different things. See, the devil will try to put all the blessings of God that are identified in Scripture, particularly Old Testament blessings that are identified. He'll try to tell you that, that, that now, under the New Covenant, and the church, modern-day church does a good job of helping him out with this. Well, you just know that the blessings of God now are spiritual blessings. They're not blessings of prosperity and riches and things like that like he promised to Israel. They're just spiritual blessings. Well, folks, there is a spiritual blessing to being in Jesus Christ. No question about it. That's how we receive the promise or that's how we receive the Holy Spirit in both salvation and that's how we receive the Holy Spirit to be filled or or baptized therewith. But that's not the only part of it. There's a natural blessing and there's a spiritual blessing. And he identifies both of them. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law and was made a curse for us for, to this end that we might receive the blessing of Abraham through Jesus Christ and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. God wants you blessed spiritually and those spiritual blessings should bring natural blessings with them. How many of you want your children to be raised up to know the things of God? It's pretty easy. We all do. If we found God to be good for ourselves, then we want our children to find the same thing. How many of you want them to suffer in life until they find it? I don't want that for my kids. Do you? And I don't want my kids to have to trade spiritual blessings or knowing Jesus or being close to God, walking in fellowship with God for having to suffer in this life. Well, you know what that makes me? That makes me a good dad. And over and over again, Jesus said, if you know how to be good parents to your children... How much more will your heavenly father be good to his children? God doesn't expect you to trade spiritual blessings for natural blessings because they're all part of what Jesus did for us. Now, we've identified the first part of what we were redeemed from. First part of spiritual death. Turn back with me to to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Let's see what other things are specifically identified as a part of the curse of the law. First part of the chapter is the blessings of obedience. And then 
Beginning in verse 15, the curse begins. Curse starts. Deuteronomy 28, beginning in verse 15, it said, but it shall come to pass. We won't read the whole chapter. Don't worry. Some people zone out when they think you're starting to read the next 50 50 verses, whatever it is. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come on thee and overtake thee. Please notice he didn't say one of these curses will come for each act of disobedience. It's a package deal. Mess up just once, and all these curses will come on you. Sounds like a pretty serious warning, doesn't it? Now remember, he's making this statement to people that don't have the capacity to keep the law. So God's expecting his his people. He knows full well that his people are going to miss it. He knows full well that Israel is going to fail to obey the commandments. And he's going to have to show his mercy to overcome these curses. God wasn't surprised when Adam fell. God wasn't surprised when Israel disobeyed and turned away from him time after time after time. And he was always there and ready with his mercy. First curse, verse 16, curses shalt thou be in the city and curses shalt thou be in the field. Doesn't matter if you work in town or out of town, the curse will catch you. Curses shalt thou be thy basket and thy store. Doesn't matter what kind of work you do. Curses shall be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your land, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of your sheep. It'll get you no matter what you do or what you own or how you work. Curses shalt thou be when thou comest in, and curses shalt thou be when thou goest out. Verse 20, the Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do, until thou be destroyed, and thou perish quickly, until thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings, whereby thou hast forsaken me. Now, here's a part that we're not going to take time to do that we did last Sunday. Dr. Robert Young, who was the foremost Hebrew scholar in his day, his, uh, his analytical concordance of the Bible has since been uh, outsold, and it's not, uh, it's not the first reference work that everybody goes to now. Everybody used James B. Strong's reference uh, or uh, concordance more uh, uh, often than they do Dr. Young. But in Dr. Young's day, it's a, Strong's is a much newer uh, work than uh, Young's was. But Dr. Young was the foremost, the foremost Hebrew scholar in his day. And he compiled, and they didn't have computers in his day, so he went through word by word, and it was a painstaking type thing, and it was just incredible amount of work and effort and uh, toil that went into it. But he developed a, a concordance for every word of the Old Testament. And then he added a Greek concordance for the New Testament as well. He was also a scholar, not the foremost scholar on the Greek, but he was the foremost scholar in the Hebrew. And he, uh, he made a statement. It's, uh, it's contained in the notes of his uh, analytical concordance. But there was also a larger book that was printed in um, uh, times past. I don't know exactly what the printing date was for it. It's since out of print. I, I haven't yet been able to find anything on it. Maybe someday I will. But even in the notes, the summary notes that are included in the concordance, he makes this statement. He says, the English language or the translators translated into the English language from the Hebrew in the causative form, a verb that that doesn't exist in the English. The Hebrew has a verb, in other words, that doesn't exist in the English. It's a permissive verb 
And they translated it into the causative. Now, there's a very simple reason why the King James translators did that. There's one of two possibilities, but one of them we know for sure. The two possibilities are the translators operated according to their knowledge of God, the character and the nature of God. And we know more about the character and the nature of God now than they did in 1500-whatever when the thing was translated. The other reason is they, the King James translation is a transliteration. It's unlike any other translation of the Bible. That's one of the reasons I prefer it. Because it's unlike any other translation of the Bible because it's not just a translation, it's a transliteration. What that means is very simply this. It's as close to a word-for-word translation as exists on the earth. Unfortunately, the Hebrew doesn't translate into the English word-for-word very well. So there's a lot of left-out meanings from the original Hebrew language. The, the, The same thing is true to some degree in the Greek, but not nearly to the same extent. So there's a lot of meaning that's left out from the Hebrew into the, into, uh, as it's translated into the English. There are some, uh, uh, some different uh, works, reference works, that, uh, that expand a little bit on the Hebrew language without having to learn Hebrew itself. And you can find out some just wonderful things from, uh, from the Hebrew language that the translation leaves out even though they translate the word itself into the English. And as such, the translators translated causative in the causative term or causative sense tense maybe that's the the right way to say it the causative verbs that which should be permissive and so here where it says the lord will send it's literally the lord will allow and it goes a lot further than this it goes not just to a permission that's granted but that god doesn't want it to be this way so you have to keep that in mind particularly in the in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy, because if you're just reading from the English and don't know anything about where it came from or the the Hebrew language itself, you could come away with the idea that God's the one that's making people sick. Well, if God's making people sick, then it's impossible for him to heal because the Bible says there's no variableness in God, neither shadow of turning. That means he can't play both sides of the street on any issue. If he did, there would be variableness. There would be a shadow of turning. And that would mean James 121 would be inaccurate or James 117 I guess it is would be inaccurate and if that's inaccurate then how much do we know of the rest of the Bible that might be inaccurate too it's an all or nothing thing so here where it says the Lord will send it literally means the Lord will allow cursing vexation and rebuke verse 21 the Lord shall allow the pestilence to cleave unto thee until he be consumed until he has consumed thee from off the land whether thou goest to possess it you can see the translator's idea about God being the one that makes people sick The Lord shall allow thee to be smitten with a consumption and with a fever and with an inflammation and with an extreme burning and with a sword and with blasting and with mildew and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. So you can see these are not short-term events. These are things that that are designed to take your life. But remember, God's not the one doing them. Verse 27, the Lord will allow thee to be smitten with the botch of Egypt and with the emeralds and with the scab and with the itch whereof thou canst not be healed. Incurable conditions. Verse 28, the Lord shall allow thee to be smitten with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart. Verse 29, and thou shalt grope at noonday as the blind gropeth in darkness, and thou shalt not prosper in thy ways, and thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save thee. In other words, there's no help for you from man. Verse 35, the Lord shall allow thee to be smitten in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of thy foot unto the top of thy head. Skip with me over to verse 58. 
If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law. So here's the curse of the law. These are curses and these are the words of the law. So he's talking about the curse of the law. Right? If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book. That thou mayest fear the glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. Then the Lord will allow thy plagues to be wonderful. Wonderful does not mean cool or, or, or great. It means so awesome in a terrible sense. Overwhelming in other words. The Lord shall allow your plagues to be awesome and overwhelming. And the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues and of long continuance and sore sicknesses and long continuance. In other words, not just you, but this will come on your family too. Moreover, he will allow to be brought upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Verse 61, I want you to see this. We'll close with this one. Or finish this chapter with this one. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book of the law. So it's got to be the curse of the law. Then will the Lord allow to be brought upon thee until thou be destroyed. So what do we see? We see two things. We see, number one, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, meaning spiritual death. The characteristics of spiritual death that are identified in Deuteronomy 28 are twofold. One is poverty and the other is sickness. Now, this being healing school, we're not spending any time talking about the poverty part. But if you look at the first 14 verses of the chapter where it talks about the blessings of obedience, you'll find that most of those have to do with uh, prosperity and provision. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field and blessed coming in and blessed going out. Blessed in the basket and blessed in the store and so forth. He's talking about the work of your hand, the increase of your cattle and your flocks and, and sheep and so forth. He's talking about provision. He's talking about natural things. And that's, again, where the devil will sometimes say, well, that just belongs to to the Jews. Well, good. That means it now belongs to us. Because that's the reason Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, at least one of the two reasons that are identified in Galatians 3.14. But I want you to see this. Of those verses, you probably didn't count, but of those verses, there are 13 specific diseases identified. 13 specific diseases, tuberculosis is in there, uh, fevers, scarlet fevers, typhoid fevers, and so forth. Leprosy is included in there. Skin diseases are included in there. There are 13 specific diseases or category of di- categories of diseases that are identified in Deuteronomy 28. And just those, whatever it was, 15 verses maybe that we read. But then it concludes in verse 61 saying, not just the 13 that are specifically identified, but every other disease, every other sickness not mentioned in the book. Them also will come on you as well. So we can say without equivocation that the curse of the law, the curse of spiritual death includes every sickness and every disease. So maybe we summarize and just say Christ has redeemed you from every sickness and every disease. Being made a curse for you. So that the blessing of Abraham. Which is, includes healing and health. Might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. Now back to, to Galatians chapter 3. I want to read something to you from another. Uh, well I, it's the message translation. Actually it's not a translation. But it's a paraphrase. I want to read something to you here. Galatians 3.13 from the message Bible. It says this. It says Christ has redeemed us from that self-defeating cursed life. By absorbing it completely into himself. Do you remember the scripture that says. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That is what happened when Jesus was nailed to the cross. He became a curse. And at the same time. Dissolved the curse. Now I want you to look at a couple other scriptures with me. 
Like I said, the message is not a translation. It's not a, 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 a translation from the original language. But instead, it's a paraphrase. It's a modern-day paraphrase whereby they, they translate into modern-day English what they believe is... Um, uh, uh, they translate in a way that, that they believe will great, bring greater understanding. Sometimes they're real good. Sometimes they're not good at all. And again, it, translation depends on the knowledge of the translators have about the character and the nature of God. You get somebody that doesn't know about God, doesn't know that God doesn't make people sick, and they'll translate the Bible into making God seem like the villain. And you need to be aware that that's exactly the characteristic or the, the understanding of the character and the nature of God that many translators had when those translations were, were made. So you've got to, regardless of what a translation says, you've got to know God for yourself. But I want you to see some things with me. Look with me over to, uh, uh, let me get the right button here. Look with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. I want to show you just how accurate the message is on that point. That Christ dissolved the curse of the law into himself. Let's start reading in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you, meaning Christians, believers, talking about you and me, you who sometimes, or literally in times past, were far off, were made nigh by the blood of Christ. In other words, he's saying the blood of Jesus joins you together with God. Verse 14, for he is our peace, who has made both one, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The both he's talking about is mankind and God. Jesus was all man and he was all God. And as a result, he was the only worthy sacrifice that could represent both sides. And when he did so, he broke down the middle partition that was created by Adam's sin, disobedience in the Garden of Eden. What was that middle partition? The curse of disobedience that God said would come upon mankind. Spiritual death. He broke down that middle wall by being made a curse for us. Where am I here? Where did I leave this? Verse 14. He is our peace who has made both one, both sides one, joined them together in other words, and has broken down the middle wall of partition between us and God. How did he do that? Verse 15. Having abolished in his flesh. Now notice the word abolished. Having abolished in his flesh. That means he did away with something. To abolish something means to do away with it. To remove it utterly. See, what I want you to understand, folks, is this: there's not some curse of the law out there waiting for you. There is no curse of the law anymore. Having abolished in his flesh, meaning through his sacrifice, the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man. What is that one new man? He's the new creature in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. What is it saying? It's saying Jesus did away with the law once and for all by being made a curse for us. He paid the price once and for all for all of mankind. He did away with the law once and for all, which means if there is no law, there is no curse of the law. Look with me over to Second Timothy chapter 1. Let's start reading in verse 9, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Speaking of God, it says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, or the works of the law, in other words, 
but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Verse 10. But now, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus brought about God's original plan that he had from the beginning, which he created in Adam before Adam sinned. But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Notice the next phrase, who hath abolished death. Now we know he didn't abolish physical death. Because the Bible says it's appointed unto man to die, wants to die. And after that, the judgment. So physical death is still in operation. So what death did he abolish? Spiritual death for the believer. Spiritual death and the characteristics of poverty and sickness. The curse of the law. But has abolished, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What's the gospel for? The gospel is to give you knowledge of what Jesus did so you can believe in him. That's how you got saved. Is through the preaching of the gospel. So notice it says that Jesus abolished the law and therefore the curse. And it says it abolished death, which is spiritual death, which is ultimately the curse of the law. And the characteristics of spiritual death, which are identified in Deuteronomy 28, poverty and sickness. Now again, what does it mean when it says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law? Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Is a summary of Jesus' ministry. Notice verse 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Teaching in their synagogues. Here's the Holy Ghost giving you a summary of Jesus' ministry. Here Jesus went about all the cities and villages. Number one, teaching in their synagogues. Number two, preaching the gospel and number of the, of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. Number three, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Most other translations translate that instead of every sickness and every disease, every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. Because there were some people that came to Jesus, or I'm sorry, there were some people that Jesus saw that were sick that didn't get healed. For example, over in John chapter 5, it tells about the pool of Bethesda. It says there were five porches full of sick people. Only one guy in that group got healed. Now, the reality is Jesus never turned away anybody that came to him for healing. But that doesn't mean everybody that was sick when Jesus was here on the earth was healed. I hope you can see the distinction there. Mark chapter 5, it talks about the woman with the issue of blood. She came in the press behind and touched Jesus' garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. We don't know how many other sick people there might have been in that multitude. We don't know how many other sick people there might have been that were reaching out and trying to grab Jesus. Maybe successfully, just like she did. But we know this. She's the only person that reached out in faith, which is the requirement to receive healing. So there may have been other sick people that needed it just as much, may have been in just as critical or even more critical conditions of sickness and disease as the woman with the issue of blood. But because they didn't reach out in faith, they didn't take hold of the power of God that was upon Jesus in faith, they went away with their sickness. Folks, I think it's safe to say that God does not heal indiscriminately. Meaning he doesn't just throw healing around It doesn't just float through the air like oxygen. But it's always available for those who meet the criteria or the requirements or the conditions. And there's only one condition, and that's faith. Now, notice here it says Jesus healed every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people. 
What does that mean? That means that Jesus operated here on the earth to free people from the curse of the law, even when the curse of the law existed. Now, why did he do that? Jesus said over and over again, my meat or my, my, what satisfies me in life, my purpose in life is to do the will of the Father. So what do we know from, he, from um, Matthew 9.35? We know it's the will of the Father for uh, the word to be taught. We know it's the will of the, of the Father for the gospel to be preached. And we know it's the will of the Father for every manner of sickness and every manner of disease to be healed. Compare that with me over in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Here's Peter preaching at Cornelius' house in Acts 10, 38. said, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Here it says Jesus went about the cities and villages doing it. Why did he do it? Because he was anointed to do so. He taught, he preached the gospel of the kingdom, and he healed every manner of sickness and every manner of disease among the people. Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing. Now here's the Holy Ghost. Holy Ghost is saying both things. Holy Ghost inspired Matthew and to write teaching, preaching, and healing, and inspired Peter to preach and Luke to record Acts 10, 38, doing good and healing. So doing good has to include teaching and preaching. Wouldn't you agree? It has to. If it's the Holy Ghost and he's consistent, then doing good has to include teaching and preaching. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, back to Acts 10, 38, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Who did he heal? He healed all that were oppressed of the devil. Now, don't you think there might have been somebody in that group? I mean, you've got a lot of people in the church world nowadays that will take verses of Scripture just like we read over in Deuteronomy 28 as proof text, and there are many others in the Old Testament, thanks to the translators. There are many other texts in the Old Testament that say that God will bring sickness and disease upon you. Well, if God's the one bringing sickness and disease upon them, then how was it that Jesus healed all that were oppressed of the devil? Don't you imagine with the multitudes? And John said if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the books of the world itself couldn't contain the books. Don't you know in all the multitudes, and we don't know how many people are in the multitudes, but let's just assume for a safe number that there were thousands of people that were healed in Jesus' ministry. I feel comfortable saying that it was at least thousands, don't you? Of the thousands of people that were healed in Jesus' ministry, you don't imagine there would have been one of them that was a, a result of the curse of the law and God bringing sickness and disease upon somebody? But folks, if there was just one and Jesus healed somebody that God made sick, that that means that Jesus is working in cross purposes with the Father. Just one. Just one. But that was impossible. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 13. Let me show you one here. We've got Scripture in Acts 10, 38, telling us that everybody that was sick in Jesus' ministry, or that came to him to be healed, or was healed, were healed because they were oppressed of the devil. or were, I'm sorry, were sick because they were oppressed of the devil. And God healed them through the anointing of the Holy Ghost upon Jesus. Here's another proof text. Luke chapter 10, verse... I'm sorry, Luke chapter 13, verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Well, that's what Matthew 9.35 says was one-third of Jesus' ministry, teaching, preaching, and healing. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bound together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, 
thou art loosed from thine infirmity. This word loosed, it comes from the same root word as the word redeemed. It's not the same word. It's not the same uh, uh, tense is not what I'm looking for. It's not the same. uh, I'm sorry, my grammar just left me. It's not exactly the same word, but they come from the same root word. It's the word that's translated redemption throughout the New Testament. It's the word that the word redeemed comes from in Galatians 3.13. It means redeemed. Now, specifically, the definition of the word redeemed or redemption means to buy out of, to ransom, or to rescue. So notice what Jesus said. Jesus doesn't ask her, now, lady, why are you in this condition? He doesn't stop and say, what law of Moses did you break to cause this to happen? He said, woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. Literally, lady, you're redeemed. Can I ask you a question? Since Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us, how was he able to redeem us when he was here? How could he redeem her from this condition? How is that possible? We'll tell you in just a minute. When Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loose, literally redeemed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Religious people are always like this. Because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day. And he said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work. In them, therefore, come and be healed. And not on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to break your custom here. Jesus answered and said unto him, you hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? And ought not this woman, number one, two reasons. Number one, being a daughter of Abraham. And number two, whom Satan has bound, lo, these 18 years, should she not be loosed or redeemed from this bond on the Sabbath? I want you to notice something about Jesus. Jesus never has stopped and asked people questions about why has this sickness come upon you? You know why? Because Jesus knew where sickness always came from. He knew sickness was always from the devil. He says so here. He says there's two reasons this woman ought to be set free. Number one, because she's the daughter of Abraham. In other words, because the blessing of Abraham includes healing and it belongs to her. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. If the blessing of Abraham included healing in her day, in Jesus' day, the blessing of Abraham includes healing for you. Second reason he said she ought to be free is because Satan has bound her. How did Jesus know this? Because every bondage is of the devil. Every bondage is of the devil. Folks, I want you to understand, Jesus dissolved, he abolished both the law and the curse. Well, Pastor Mike, does that mean that Christ, that God doesn't expect us to obey now? The curse of the law was all about disobedience. Does God not expect us to obey now? Of course he expects us to obey now. But folks, it's kind of like this. You want your children to obey you, and as a result, you give them instructions from, a, from the, the, as young as you can get it into them. 
You give them instructions on what to do or what not to do, and then you establish consequences. That may be a, a, a combination of different ways. The consequences may be a, a number of different things. The Bible talks about spanking. It talks about the rod. That just literally means spanking. You may use timeouts. You may use any number of things. And as those children grow and learn the rules of the house or learn to obey you, then the relationship changes a bit. Because now, as they get older and older, spankings are not the way that you go. But maybe you ground them. Maybe you take away a privilege, take away their phone or their iPad or whatever the case is. That's a good one, by the way, if you hadn't used that. But the relationship changes. But the, the, the purpose is the same, and that is for your children to learn to obey. Now, as they outgrow that, the relationship changes even further. I don't think I'm ever going to get to the place, my kids are too big to spank now, but I don't think I'm ever going to get to the place where I don't want them to obey me. But it's not about consequences anymore. They're old enough, mature enough to realize that the whole reason that I wanted them to obey from the time that they were a baby all the way till now is because I have their best interest in mind. I'm trying to save them heartache or pain or some kind of difficulty in life. So I want them to obey me, not or else. But now they've learned to obey. At least we hope so. That's the, the idea. They've learned to obey Because I'm trying to do them right. I'm trying to do good for them and help them in things that they don't know. Folks, it's the same way with God. The curse of the law was never intended to be the or else. God is very simply saying, this is the consequence of your disobedience. I'm a real Western movie and Western uh, uh, book buff. I've read a lot of Westerns and and I don't know. I just like the, the idea of the Old West and that type of thing. And there are always, in the Old West, there are always these stories and make good movies out of them about desert places where Indian territory is and the badlands where the outlaws go. Now, anybody knows, anybody that's watched Westerns or read after some of the good Western writers know that all you got to do is go around the desert or go around the badlands and you can avoid all the Indians and the outlaws. But that's never what happens, is it? Somebody will think that they can make it. They'll take this wagon train through because they're going to go settle the territory or whatever it is. And so they'll go right through Indian territory and the Indians will come and burn their wagons out or the bandits will come, the outlaws will come and steal everything they have. And then the rest of the show is about somebody avenging them or whatever the case is and finally it ends with the good guys shooting the bad guys. That's how you write a good western. Now folks, there's a lot of similarities in that in the Bible. God's saying, stay out of Indian territory. Except in India, except the, the difference is, it's not Indian territory, it's not outlaw territory, it's the devil's territory. And he's saying, here's how you stay out of the devil's territory. Obey the word. God doesn't want your wagons burned. He didn't want you to be robbed or shot through with arrows or anything else. He wants you to avoid all that. Well, how do you avoid that? You avoid it by staying out of that territory. So when Jesus abolished the law, he's saying there is no devil's territory anymore. And there is no curse. You can go anywhere and go everywhere that I direct you by my spirit. Anywhere that my word says to go, anywhere the Holy Ghost will lead you, that's okay and you'll be protected. Don't have to worry about the outlaws because there is no curse of the law anymore. Now some people will hear that and they'll say, well, Pastor Mike, are you saying the sickness doesn't exist? I mean, that sounds like Christian science stuff. Christian science says that you can use mind over matter because sickness is just in your mind. Well, tell that to the people that have died of cancer. 
Sickness is not just in your mind. It's in your body. We're not saying that sickness doesn't exist. We're refusing its right to stay in our flesh because of the work of Jesus. And that's the difference. That's the difference. Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law. He dissolved the curse of the law. How many times have you been approached by the devil and he says, well, this trouble that you're in is because of what you did wrong. There is no doing wrong anymore as far as God is concerned. Not for those that are in Christ Jesus. Yeah, but see, when you talk like that, people will say that God doesn't expect you to obey. He does expect you to obey because you know his character and his nature. Because you've grown out of the consequence stage. You've grown out of the grounding stage. You've grown into a place where you know him. And the way you know him is by the spirit of God within you. And by the word of God that is revealed to you. You know his character and his nature that he's only out for your good. Christ abolished death. You know it would do you good to repeat that to yourself about ten times every day for the next week? Christ abolished death and the characteristics of spiritual death. He did away with it for me. It's still out there. It still dominates people that don't know Jesus and haven't made him the Lord of their life. But it doesn't have anything to do with me. Has no bearing on me or my life whatsoever. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, aren't you being attacked? And don't you get attacked from time to time? Yep, I do. Just like everybody else. But I refuse its right to stay. Why? Because Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. According to the word of God, I'm healed. According to the word of God, I'm free. According to the word of God, victory is mine in every situation. According to the word of God, I come out on top. I'm blessed in the city and blessed in the field. I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed in the basket in the store. I'm blessed in everything that I do. Because Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Now, folks, when you say that because you mean it, then sickness takes on a new perspective, or you take on a new perspective towards sickness. The devil's out there, and he has a right to, to attack you. He has a right to bring something to you to see if you'll take it. But he doesn't have a right to make it stay when you refuse to accept it. His right to enforce it is broken. His right to enforce it is broken. And that's what we're talking about. That's what being freed from the curse of the law is all about. The devil has no right. He has no power to enforce sickness and disease in the body of the believer. Because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you that Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost. And went about doing good and healing. I thank you that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So just as he healed when he was here on the earth, he heals today. And the same condition exists to receive that healing now as it existed when Jesus was here on the earth. And that's just very simple faith. Therefore, we're going to make a confession, Lord. Say this after me, if you will. According to the word of God, I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I'm redeemed from spiritual death. I'm redeemed from poverty. I'm redeemed from sickness. Poverty, sickness, and spiritual death have no right to stay in my life because I'm in Christ Jesus. The blessing of Abraham is mine. That means everything I put my hand to prospers and succeeds. That means... That I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. That means divine health is mine. Satan, I refuse to allow you 
to enforce sickness or poverty in my life. In the name of Jesus, I declare that according to the word of God, I am healed and I am prosperous. Thank you, Father, that the enemy must go because of the finished work of Jesus.